0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: We are going to continue our series now on the Masters, looking at people who have had a profound impact throughout the history of the Christian faith. We first looked at Augustine in the 5th century and his confession of guilt and confession praising God. It's a model for all of us as we reflect on our past and see how God is at work in all of life. Last week we looked at Martin Luther who declared that faith alone was all we needed to be saved. He helped move the church away from some clearly flawed practices like sacerdotalism or paying money to be forgiven of your sins. We were left with this idea that truly faith is all you need to be saved. But I bet that didn't quite sit right for some of you. Some folks would say, wait, what about our actions? Don't we have to do something with our faith, otherwise it's meaningless? In our master small group study on Monday, we wrestled with this idea. The book of James even says in chapter 2, what good is faith without works? If you see someone who is sick or starving and wish them well, what good is that? And he concludes in verse 17, Thus, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. How can we declare faith alone saves if we also need works? I'll note that Martin Luther hated the book of James. He called it the book of straw because he felt like it corrupted this important rediscovery that it is truly faith alone that saves. So let's work this out and Who better to turn to than a woman whose works brought grace and dignity and faith to hundreds of thousands of people? We turn next to the master, Mother Teresa. Her devotion has transformed so many, and her guiding scripture was the one we are about to hear. Eric is going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the story of final judgment at the end of the world, Jesus was with the disciples after teaching at the temple uh, there, and, and the disciples are describing how beautiful the building is, and Jesus turns to them and says, all this is going to be destroyed. There won't be a stone left here. He describes how difficult life will be for those who see this awful destruction and how important it is to watch carefully for Christ's return. After a couple of parables that point out this important lesson, he then turns to the judgment of the nations this is the gospel of matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46 hear now the word of the lord
0: when the son of man comes in his glory and the angel all the angels with him then he will sit at the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it
1: And from 1 John four twenty, those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we consider the saint and our scripture today. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. May we have faith That is alive, Lord. Teach us what true faith looks like as we seek your wisdom in the actions we take. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mother Teresa is not her real name. She was born Agnes Ganja Boyaju in Albania. Her childhood was chaotic with her citizenship changing from the Ottoman Empire to Serbia to Bulgaria to Yugoslavia, all without moving. Her father died when she was just eight years old, and it was in the next few years that she heard of the missionaries serving in India. At 18, she left her home to join the Sisters of Loretto in Ireland to learn English, and then to be a missionary in India herself. She would never see her family again, but her vows were so important to her. She went to India and became a teacher at her convent school and eventually became the principal of the school. She loved what she was doing, but she was more and more dissatisfied with what was happening around her. Calcutta was in deep poverty. Muslims and Hindus were in conflict, and one particular day, known as Direct Action Day, led to the Calcutta cuttings, uh, killings in 1946, leaving 4,000 people dead. Just a few weeks later, she was on a train to Darjeeling, where she was ordered to go for rest and recovery after nearly working herself sick. On her way to the retreat center in the Himalayas, she heard a call from God that she was to go back to Calcutta, go into the streets, and minister to the poorest of the poor. She heard God say, come carry me into the holes of the poor. Come be my light. By nineteen forty eight, she had left the order of nuns she was a part of, and with her permission, with their permission began ministering in the streets. Her goal was to help them live their lives with dignity, and so encounter God's infinite love, and having come to know him, to love and serve him in return. This was her second calling. The first was into her vows of justice and peace with the Loretto sisters. Now on her own, they were vows of chastity, poverty, obedience, and free service to the poorest of the poor. She took a basic medical course so she could offer physical relief for those in pain. After a few months of work on the streets of Calcutta, she found a building to be the headquarters for her Missionaries of Charity. This lasted just a short time though in this building because dozens and dozens of young women joined her and she needed more space for all the people that were joining. It was a tough first year though. She had no income. She had to beg for food and supplies. In her loneliness and struggles she wanted to return to her old convent where things were safe and secure but she did her best. Anyone in need was welcome with no regard for race or religion. She worked with local government officials to turn an abandoned temple into a hospice center. There the Quran was read to Muslims, the water from the Ganges was given to Hindus, and Catholics received last rites. As more hospice centers, orphanages, and leper houses opened, more women joined and donations began to pour in. By the 1960s, they expanded to other countries. In 1982, during a war between Israel and Lebanon, 37 children were trapped in a hospital. They eventually agreed to a ceasefire so that Mother Teresa herself could be escorted into the hospital to rescue the children. She would go on to win the Nobel Peace Prize, and in her speech, she shared the reason she did all that work. It was not for riches or fame. She said that it was because at our hour of death we would be judged on what we have been to the poor, to the hungry, and the homeless. She went on to describe how Jesus makes himself that hungry one, that naked one, that homeless one. Not only hungry for bread, but hungry for love. Not only naked for a piece of cloth, but naked of that human dignity. Not only homeless for a room to live, but homeless for being forgotten. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. She closed her speech by sharing that the poor are great people, lovable people who deserve our respect. She shared a story of a man. She said she would never forget a man from the street who was covered with maggots. His face was the only place that was clean. When they brought him into their home for the dying, he said just one sentence, I have lived like an animal in the street, but I am going to die like an angel. He was loved and cared for and died a beautiful death. Today, more than 5,000 sisters, 500 brothers, and 600 missions are a part of her order with schools and shelters in 120 countries. Many would credit her with transforming the lives of thousands upon thousands of lives for the better. When we look at Matthew 25, we can see how she understood these words in a simple and literal way, caring for any and all as though they themselves were Jesus the Christ in hidden form. Now many people will tell you, myself included, That these verses from Matthew are more likely to be referring not to how we treat the poor, but to how we treat missionaries, people who leave their homes and families to tell the world about Jesus. If you treat them well, even if they're hungry or thirsty, have no clothes, or are put in prison for preaching, that's when you know you are a part of God's family. You support God's people. You are doing what you can to further the good news of Jesus Christ. But Mother Teresa and other advocates for the poor often use this passage to say we need to support all people who are poor, all who are hungry and thirsty or imprisoned. And I have to say, who am I to disagree with Mother Teresa? There are plenty of other verses that support the same idea. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. In Luke 14, Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. These are very general statements about helping everyone who is in need. The problem is that lots of verses in the Bible are actually specifically prioritizing family members and Christians. Whenever you see brothers and sisters, it's not usually talking about humans generally. It's saying brothers and sisters in your family or brothers and sisters in your spiritual family, the church. So I don't want to miss that. That's the first thing we need to make sure we are doing. But Mother Teresa obviously felt called to help all those who were poor or suffering. She saw that in helping others, she was doing something for Christ. She was making the connection between the image of God that is in all people and God's love for his creation. God's love doesn't end just because we don't believe in him just yet. We are all on the way. We are all journeying and God loves us from start to finish, from doubt ...to faith and everything in between. God is coaxing us to, to a deeper, fuller relationship with him. Even poverty doesn't make a person less worthy of that love. In fact, it might make them even more special. Uh, one verse in First Samuel says, "...God raises the poor from the dust and they will inherit a throne of honor." So she took on this task. She wanted to raise up the poor to their seat of honor even in this life. She gave them dignity by treating them the way God would treat them. She loved them the way God wants all of us to love them. Now I think this is commendable. We would do well to live our lives modeling Mother Teresa, prioritizing the poor and marginalized. And I think she helps us see what faith alone looks like. At our Bible study on Monday, we were wondering about faith and the works that we do. I posed whether faith alone really was enough. And I love that we had two people that said, well, it could be. If there is no opportunity to do good works, though, if you put your trust in God and then you die, faith alone will save you. God requires Nothing else. And one person said, yeah, there was that thief on the cross as Jesus was being crucified. He defended Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And I have to say, we surely have some theologians in the church. Faith is enough. But, but the very natural results. ...of our faith is that we do works. That's why the Apostle James says faith without works is dead. Faith that never manifests itself with love toward others... ...never works to lift the poor out of poverty... ...never seeks a better way to be with others... ...that is no faith at all. Faith flows outward. It turns into blessing others... If it doesn't, something has gone wrong. When it came to Mother Teresa, her works were very evident, but there was actually a lot of controversy about her after she died. She had written hundreds of letters, and they were saved and reviewed. Eventually, a book came out simply titled, Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light. In it were all these letters expressing doubt and darkness. After she began working with the poor, she felt like God was absent. God never spoke to her. She was not joyful in prayer or in communion. She said it was like she was abandoned by God. The only time this was not true for her was a five-week period, about 20 years into her ministry to the poor. She had prayed to feel God's presence because she hadn't felt it since she heard from God to begin this work, and And then she did. She felt God for five weeks. And then she was right back to the darkness and spiritual loneliness she had felt before. When one of her letters expressing her spiritual doubt was read out loud to some of the sisters in her mission, their mouths hung open. They couldn't believe this was the Mother Teresa they had known for all those years. Maybe this is the first you are hearing it. Maybe you can't believe it. Is doubt like that, though, is that acceptable for people of faith? I know when I have shared some of my spiritual struggles, people have been angry and even upset with me. Why does the pastor have any doubt? Why is he struggling as though there can never be any doubt in true faith? John Chrysostom hundreds of years ago, gave a name to what Mother Teresa and others like her have experienced. He called it the dark night of the soul. It is considered a stage many spiritual masters go through. Sometimes doubt looms large in a person's spiritual journey to God, and the solution is not to ignore it or deny it. Sadly, when many people experience this sharp sense of being separated from by God or from God, either through doubt or tragedy, their instinct is to reject God. They say, God does not do what I thought God does, so God must not exist. Mother Teresa, I think, shows us a better way, that when doubt comes, when people are hurting and suffering, seems overwhelming, the right path is to deepen your faith By helping others. We don't always have to solve the problem of doubt to be faithful. We don't have to have all the answers to know that helping God's beloved creation is the right thing to do. Though many incredible people have had their dark night of the soul. Some for days and weeks and months. Others for years and years. Mother Teresa is clearly the most dramatic example of it. It's no wonder she asked for her letters of question and doubt to be destroyed. But I actually see how they are a gift to us. They let us see that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt and struggle is part of the journey that leads to deeper and fuller spirituality. Doubt builds better faith. It leads to this quote from Mother Teresa, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Better faith leads to great love. That's true in our church as well. You can do something as small as giving someone some soup and it can change a life some women in the church had their annual women's retreat a few weeks ago, and my wife came back telling me this amazing story. She said, did you know this happened? And she told me about Carol and Charlotte delivering some soup to a, to a woman named Michelle. Now, I talked to Michelle this week and asked if I could share her story with you, and she said yes, that would be fine. Several years ago, uh, These ladies from the church were asked to deliver some soup to a couple. Uh, The man had just been sent home from the hospital. And these ladies, Carol and Charlotte, said, yes, of course they deliver some soup. So they go and they, they deliver the soup and they keep going week after week. They keep bringing more soup. After some time in communion and pastoral ministry, this gentleman, he dies and Michelle is left on her own. She was still getting visits, but she was deeply struggling with alcoholism. It got to a point where the doctors told her, this is going to kill you, you have to stop. And these ladies visiting were still bringing soup. They got her a Bible at her request, and she read it, and she highlighted passages in it. Carol told me how Michelle had called her one day and said, will you bring me to Newbridge? She needed a ride to the treatment center so she could get the care that she needed. Carol took her. She remained in touch with her throughout. Michelle got things turned around, and she got her own apartment. A couple years ago, several of the ladies from our church went over to Michelle's house and brought lunch and some Christmas gifts and decorations for her home. They helped in these small ways, but they did it with great love. I think Michelle's success and the transformation that happened in her life is certainly a tribute to her for her commitment and her hard work, but it's also a credit to those folks who were faithful in loving Michelle in small ways and in large. They reveal God in this world. They confirm that God is not indifferent The Lord is committed to the good of all people everywhere. Love the poor. Love the marginalized. Love those who struggle with addiction and anger and grief. Love those who doubt because they are on a journey to a deeper kind of spirituality. And we need their wisdom and insight in the church. Let me close with a simple quote once more from Mother Teresa who was canonized as a saint in 2016. She said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. Whatever we are going through, whether it's the best day or the worst, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain, or a day filled with joy for us, whether surrounded by people or feeling totally alone, Let us love more. It's the call of God we learn from the masters, and it will only deepen true faith. Amen? Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.